would, take your Bibles and turn with me to Psalm 145. Psalm 145. Praise the King. So, um, those of you who are members and or receive emails from me, um, know that over the next six weeks or thereabouts, we're going to be spending some time discussing various aspects to worship. This morning we talked about the the aspect of worship that is Bible study, and we encouraged you um, to commit to Bible study in some way, whether that be reading through the entire Bible, reading through the New Testament, um, but for you to grow and worship Christ as you ought, you ought to be reading Scripture regularly. We're going to be looking at that idea once again next Sunday morning. But tonight, I want us to focus our attention a little bit on the call to praise that is in Psalm 145. So Psalm 145 ultimately boils down to this. Praise the Lord eternally for his great kingdom and his gracious care. Praise the Lord eternally for his great kingdom and his gracious care. And what's happening here is this is the last psalm that is directly attributed to David. Psalm 145 begins kind of the crescendo that leads to um, the ending of psalms that just calls you to praise God. So Psalm 145, 146, 147, 148, 149, 150, just hammering home over and over again that you and I must praise God. And as he makes this argument, he actually brings in some unique features that are not readily apparent to you and I because uh, we don't naturally read Hebrew. That's not any of our first language. But what he uses is an acrostic. So he's using the various letters of the Hebrew alphabet as he starts each big segment of the psalm. Why is he doing that? He's doing that to show you the completeness of how we should praise God. Like God is worthy of complete praise and so he uses the entire alphabet in writing out this psalm of praise. He can't use every word, because that would take too long. But he can use every letter of the alphabet. If you would take your Bibles, let's read Psalm 145, and then we will uh, dive into it. Psalm 145, verse 1. I will extol you, my King, O God. My God, O King, and I will bless your name forever and ever. Every day I will bless you, and I will praise your name forever and ever. Great is the Lord, and greatly to be praised, and his greatness is unsearchable. One generation shall praise your works to another, and shall declare your mighty acts. I will meditate on the glorious splendor of your majesty and on your wondrous works. Men shall speak of the might of your awesome acts, and I will declare your greatness. They shall utter the memory of your great goodness, and shall sing of your righteousness. The Lord is gracious and full of compassion, slow to anger and great in mercy. The Lord is good to all, and his tender mercies are over all his works. All your works shall praise you, O Lord, and your saints shall bless you. They shall speak of the glory of your kingdom and talk of your power to make known to the sons of men his mighty acts and the glorious majesty of his kingdom. 
Your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and your dominion endures throughout all generations. The Lord upholds all who fall and raises up all who are bowed down. The eyes of all look expectantly to you, and you give them their food in due season. You open your hand and satisfy the desires of every living thing. The Lord is righteous in all his ways, gracious in all his works. The Lord is near to all who call upon him, to all who call upon him in truth. He will fulfill the desires of those who fear him. He will hear their cry and save them. The Lord preserves all who love him, but all the wicked he will destroy. My mouth shall speak the praise of the Lord, and all flesh shall bless his holy name forever and ever. Father, we do thank you for the fact that you are worthy of praise, and you are worthy of praise because of the many demonstrations of your grace, your mercy, your faithfulness, and your constant love in our lives. We pray that as we meditate on this passage of scripture, that we would be able to see areas in our own lives where these truths have become evident, and that as we do so, that we would be uh, quick to follow the example of David and to tell others about your faithfulness and your goodness in our lives. In your name we pray. <laughs> the psalm begins, and as it begins, it tells us to encourage one another through praise. Encourage one another through praise. And so as Psalm 145 opens up, Verses 1 through 9 are going to develop this concept in quite a bit of detail. <clears throat> Actually, um, um, through verse 10, I believe it is. <clears throat> and so he, he begins and he tells us God's praise and glory should ever be on your lips. I will extol you, my God, okay, and I will bless your name forever and ever. It's interesting. He's going to use that phrase forever and ever again in verse 2, and then he's going to put it on the shelf, but he doesn't put it on the shelf to forget it. He puts it on the shelf, what? To do with it. So bring it back into play at the very end of the psalm. Why? Because he's bracketing the psalm at the very beginning and at the very end. This is something that you and I are supposed to be involved in for forever. Not simply as something that we do on Sunday mornings or Sunday evenings or Wednesday nights, but it should be what characterizes our lives in our day-to-day -day actions. And that becomes really clear, especially as we enter into verse 4, where he's going to tell us some of the purpose behind praising God. So he calls us to praise God. He tells us to have God's praise, God's glory, God's majesty on our lips so that we can tell God what we know about him. He moves on and he says he is worthy of daily praise because he is so great. That's verse 2. Every day I will bless you. I will praise your name forever and ever. Why? Because God is great. Because God has dealt bountifully with David. And if we are to be honest, the truth is God has dealt bountifully with us as well. And so he says, praise God daily. Praise God forever. This is something that characterizes your entire being all the time. But, 
Verse 3, great is the Lord and greatly to be praised, and his greatness is unsearchable. We can't comprehend his greatness. But in verse 4, you really have this transition. We encourage one another by testifying to God's faithfulness. One generation shall praise your works to another and shall declare your mighty acts. I will meditate on the glorious splendor of your majesty and on your wondrous works. What's he getting at? What he's getting at right there is, as you and I have God's praise constantly on our lips, as we encounter the blessings that you encountered this week, the joy that you had in being able to get together with family and friends and loved ones over this time period. And you point to the next generation. He doesn't say children, right? I am like the next generation for some of you. For some of you, I'm like two generations down. No, no, no. There's people on live stream. There's people on live stream. Right? Hi, people on live stream. Don't get mad at me. All right? But what he's saying is you're, you're encouraging, you're instructing the future generations. What are you teaching them? You're teaching them about who their God is and how they should respond. And so he says, from one generation to another, you're teaching. It's not simply that we're teaching those who are our children. We want to do that. But you know what? If we're to be honest with one another, you and I, whoever you are, whether you know, you're the generation above me or two generations before me, sometimes we need to be encouraged and reminded of God's faithfulness and God's goodness so that we're willing to continue to pursue faithfulness and obedience to the Lord Jesus Christ. And what he's saying is, we mutually come together, and as we do this, we encourage each other to pursue faithfulness and obedience to God. So we encourage one another by testifying to God's faithfulness. That's the big idea of verse 4. He moves on, though. And he says, that as we focus on God's mighty works we put to display put on display it should humble us or another way that you could put this is how the psalmist does in verse 5 what does he do as he focuses on God's mighty works that are put on display by the generations prior to him he meditates on God's acts and if we truly meditate on God's acts and truly understand who God is, what God has accomplished, and what that requires of us, what is the end result of that? The end result is that we will be humbled before God because we will see his greatness and we will see that we do not and cannot measure up to how great he is. It causes us to have a true picture of who we are and who God is. Remember, the, the big theme of the psalm is really in the middle. It's verses 10 through 13. And that is the idea that the Lord is king. And because he is king, he is worthy of praise. He is worthy of glory. He is worthy of majesty. And who in their right mind would walk up to a king and assume that they were on equal footing with a king? No, you humble yourself. You prostrate yourself before a king. He meditates, and as he meditates, it leads to him a, a proper understanding of who he is in relationship to his God. 
And so this is the desire as you and I praise God, as we meditate on who God is, and what we learn about God from his past actions and his current actions in our life. It should encourage us to pursue faithfulness, and it should humble us and help us to see our true position before God. Who will you encourage this week, then, through your testimony of God's faithfulness? The big emphasis here is that the praise has an end goal. The praise is not an end in and of itself. He doesn't say, I'm going to go to the temple and praise God as an end in and of itself. His, his time praising God is a means by which he is discipling those around him. How do we do this? How do we disciple and encourage and shape each other's minds? I think we can do it in all sorts of ways, but even in how we pray, what are we focused on in our prayer? Do our prayers point to God's splendor? Do they teach people, look at how great God is, and because he is so great and he is on this high pedestal, you are truly nothing before him. You must humble yourself and pursue obedience and faithfulness. So who are you going to seek to encourage this week through your testimony of God's faithfulness? The psalmist looks at it and he says, this is what we're going to do. God is so great. We're going to praise him constantly. Every day we're praising God. But that leads to a fellowship and the fellowship that we have as we join in life together provides ample opportunities for us to encourage one another. Look at who God is. This is the God that we get to serve. And if he demands this of our lives and we don't understand this, we still pursue that. Why? Because this is how great God is. <clears throat> The text moves on. Men shall speak. He uh, almost bounces it back and forth. There's this, um, what they will do and what I will do. He listens in verse 4. One generation shall praise your works to another and shall declare your mighty acts. There's this group of people talking and they're telling each other things about God. And they're learning, they're growing, they're maturing. And what's his response? David's response is, he sits back in verse 5 and he goes, I'm going to meditate on this. I'm going to contemplate this situation. Because what this conversation looks like is so great. There is so much that is being described about who God is. I can learn from this and I can grow in my understanding of who God is. By listening to conversation. But he does the same thing once again in verse 6. Men, once again, he's not talking about himself in verse 6. There's this group of people outside of David, the, the psalmist. Men shall speak of the might of your awesome acts, and I will declare your greatness. They shall utter the memory of your great goodness and shall sing of your righteousness. 
But it's these people outside of who David is who are talking about God's greatness. And it leads to David looking out and saying, I too will acknowledge this. Why? Because his understanding of who God is has been shaped and transformed and strengthened. Why? Because of the testimony of those who are outside of him. And that is what you and I need. We need the fellowship that comes from hearing one another's testimonies of God's goodness. This is one of the benefits of praise. That's why the New Testament commands us to what? Sing psalms and hymns and making melody and teaching one another. Why? Because we instruct each other as we sing. We instruct each other as we praise God. One of the ways we do that is singing. We also do that through just conversation. We also do that through our prayer time. But this is the responsibility that you and I have. He moves on and he says, Praise the Lord for his gracious dealings with what he has made. Look at verse 8. The Lord is gracious and full of compassion, slow to anger and great in mercy. The Lord is good to all, and his tender mercies are over all his works. What is he doing? He's acknowledging that God is good and that he is gracious and kind to all that he has made. I think he's really opening the door for the main idea of the psalm, which is in verses 10 through 13. That God is a great king who cares for his own. Sometimes people like to think that or they like to assert that God does not care for all his creation. Now, what that means doesn't mean the same thing for everybody. God cares for somebody who sins and rejects him. But the end result of their rejection of the Lord Jesus Christ is that they will be condemned to a Christless eternity called hell. But God still cares for that individual. And so he says, praise God because he cares for and he deals graciously with all his works. That includes the animals. Does God care for the animals? Yes. Jesus tells us that you shouldn't worry about what you need. Why? Because God graciously cares for even the birds. And that is the idea that he's communicating here. That God cares for all his works. And if he cares for all his works, even the ones that we consider insignificant and maybe even gross like earthworms, then he'll surely care for you. That is the idea. He is a great king who cares for all his works, all his creation. And because of that, we praise him. And our praise of God encourages and challenges us to grow and become more like Christ. To love him more supremely today than we did yesterday. He moves, though, to the central topic, the big idea that he's seeking to communicate. And that is that the pr praise the Lord for his great kingdom. Verse 10, all your works shall praise you, O Lord, and your saints shall bless you. They shall speak of the glory of your kingdom and talk of your power to make known to the sons of men his mighty acts. 
and the glorious mystery of his kingdom. And your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and your dominion endures throughout all generations. It's interesting. Verse 10 tells us that he cares for all his creations. That's, that's verse 9. Verse 9 tells us that he cares for all his creations. Verse 10 then tells us that all his creations will praise him. There's this reciprocal relationship going on here. He cares for everything that he's made, and everything that he's made praises him. And then the, the psalmist David highlights that. He says, especially God's saints will praise him. Look at verse 10 as we consider this idea. All your works shall praise you, O Lord, and your saints shall bless you. Like, everything out there praises you. It all testifies to your goodness, to your greatness. You look at the sunrise, you look at the sunset. You look at the beauty of the snow as it fell earlier this afternoon. And he says, it all proclaims the glory of God and the glory of his kingdom. And I don't mean like he's reigning currently, okay? It's like he rules over the world. He's in sovereign control of what happens on this world. This is not the kingdom. This is far too sinful to be the kingdom. We need something far more perfect to actually represent the kingdom that Christ will usher in at a future time. But not only that, the saints focus their praise on the greatness of his kingdom. While creation at large praises God, the saints are going to focus on the greatness of his kingdom. They shall speak of the glory of your kingdom and talk of your power. To make known to the sons of men his mighty acts and the glorious majesty of his kingdom. What is he talking about? What is he describing? I think what he's saying is that God's greatness is demonstrated in what? In the fact that he cares for all his creation. I don't know about you, but it is immensely difficult for me to show somebody love who is rebelling against me. Or who is not loving me in return. Like, you, you, this is bad, bad advice. Don't do this. But there's this idea that, you know, if you scratch my back, I'll scratch your back. That's not how relationships work. But that's a lot easier for me to get on board with than the idea that I love you unconditionally, even if you treat me like dirt. Right? But how does God treat his whole creation? In verse 9, it tells us that God treats his whole creation rightly. He cares for them. He provides for them. And he demonstrates his power in doing that. And so I think what he's getting at here is God's power, God's greatness to the world is demonstrated how? By the fact that he cares for everything and everyone, even those who choose to rebel against him. That is a gracious, long-suffering king, very similar to what is described in verses 8 and 9. The Lord is gracious and full of compassion, slow to anger, and great in mercy. The Lord is good to all, and his tender mercies over 
are over all his works. That does not describe me all the time. Some of the time. But not all the time. What he's saying is God is great because his kingdom is characterized by verses 8 and 9 all the time. Once again, as we reflect on who God is and how he treats his creation, what happens? As we meditate upon this, we are humbled much like David is in verse 5. And as we are humbled, we realize, you know, if I am this needy, I need something to help me in the midst of all this. I need God's help. Why? Because I'm insufficient, insufficient on my own. Praise again instructs uh, and encourages people to make known to the sons of men his mighty acts and the glorious majesty of his kingdom. Your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and your dominion endures throughout all generations. In verses 14 and following, then, he brings us once again to the primary response that you and I must have to who our God is. And that is a call for continued praise. He begins and he says, this is what I'm doing. I'm extolling my God, O King, and I will bless your name forever. And every day I will bless you and I will praise your name forever. Great is Lord and greatly to be praised. His greatness is unsearchable. And then he talks about the fact that one generation is instructing and testifying to God's past greatness and encouraging them and equipping them to face difficulties in the future. But it's interesting, who is actually praising God at the beginning of the psalm? It's, it's just David. That's it. Which is great. But it's a far cry from what we've seen is going to happen, right? Because in verse 10, we're told who's going to praise God. All his works are going to praise him, and especially his saints. And so in verses 14 through 21, what he's doing is he's saying, Okay, guys, you all have to join in praising God. You all must join. Verse 14, The Lord upholds all who fall and raises up all who have bowed down. The eyes of all look expectantly to you. And you give them their food in due season. You open your hand and satisfy the desires of every living thing. The Lord is gracious in all his ways, gracious in all his works. The Lord is near to all who call upon him, to all who call upon him in truth. He will fulfill the desire of those who fear him. He will hear their cry and save them. The Lord preserves all who love him. But all the wicked he will destroy. My mouth shall speak the praises of the Lord, and all flesh shall bless his holy name forever and ever. What's he getting at? What is he describing here? God provides for people according to their needs. Who does God provide for? God provides for needy people. And he describes those needy people in verses 14 through, I think, verse 16 or something, 17 maybe. Verse 14, the Lord upholds all who fall. He raises up all who have bowed down. The eyes of all who look expectantly to you. 
And as people expectantly look to God, what are they expecting? Their needs needs to be fulfilled. And what does God do in verse 15? You give them their food in due seasons. He controls the seasons and they know when they're going to get the next crop. Verse 16, you open your hand and satisfy the desires of every living thing. The Lord is righteous in all his ways, gracious in all his works. He then moves on, he says, God responds to all who call to him for help. Verse 18, the Lord is near to all who call upon him. So all who call upon him in truth, he will fulfill the desires of those who fear him. He will hear their cry and save them. The Lord preserves all who love him, but all the wicked he will destroy. Not only does he fulfill your needs, but when you and I see our neediness and we cry out to God for help, what does the psalmist say that God does? He comes and he takes care of those needs. It's easy for us to think through our needs and to think through our needs as, you know, um, somewhat basic categories like, you know, we have the need for transportation, you have the need for clothing, you have the need for food, and you have the need for a house. And God does fulfill all those needs, right? But there's a far greater need that mankind has. And God has provided provision for that need. That need is the fact that your sin separates you from God. And what has God done? He sent his son, Jesus Christ, into the world to die for your sins. So that you can be forgiven of your sins and so that you can have your relationship with God restored. But in fact, God's provision for your needs when you call upon him goes further than that. He doesn't simply provide the basic provisions that you and I need to sustain physical life. He's provided for your eternal life, but he's also provided a means by which you and I can escape sin in this present life. As a believer who has realized your sinfulness and has placed your faith in Christ's finished work on the cross, what is true? It is also true that now the Holy Spirit indwells you and that you have died with Christ and that you have raised, risen with him. Why? So that you can live a righteous life, one that glorifies and honors God. And if you cry out to him and ask him for help in that area, what will he do? He will come alongside you and help you to die to yourself and live for Christ. Indeed, God is one who responds to all who call to him for help. He doesn't simply see our needs and respond to those. But there's also this give and take, very similar to what we saw in Proverbs chapter 2 this morning, where you have the responsibility in Proverbs 2, 1 through 4 to to do this hard work of committing yourself to studying God's word, to researching, to devoting your entire being to this. And then he turns around in verse 5 and he says, God gives wisdom. You're like, I prefer just the, the verse 5 option and skip verses 1 through 4 because that sounds a lot easier. 
And yet that's not an option that we're given. A very similar thing is here. God provides for the needy. We're told that. But God also wants the needy to cry out to him for help. And then when he responds, what does that provide us opportunity to do? Because we were needy. And we cried out to God. And God comes and he saves. As he describes in verses uh, 17 and following. Or 18. He's near to all who call upon him. He who call, to all who call upon him in truth. He will fulfill the desires of those who fear him. He will hear their cry and save them. The Lord preserves all who love him. But all the wicked he will destroy. What does it provide us opportunity to do as we cry out to God and say, I need you in this area. It gives us opportunity to turn around and say, I was needy and God fulfilled that need. Praise God. Look at the greatness of my God. Not only is he in control, he can provide, but he also cares. Which then allows for the call for continued praise be fulfilled and that's what he does in verse 21 verse 21 is very interesting once again he starts off who's talking it's just david my mouth shall speak the praise of the lord but it doesn't stop there right and all flesh shall bless his holy name forever and ever believer it is your responsibility to praise the lord eternally for his great kingdom and gracious care You will do that in eternity. But you don't need to worry about eternity and what you're going to say during eternity to praise God. That will take care of itself. What you do need to worry about is how am I going to effectively, purposefully, in an intentional way that builds and equips my brothers and sisters in Christ? How am I going to praise God today so that I encourage and equip my fellow brother and sister in Christ. That's the question that we need to ask today. Yes, we will do this for eternity. But what really matters is how am I going to praise God today? How am I going to use that to encourage and equip other believers in Christ? He destroys his enemies. Praise the Lord. Longing for the chorus of all flesh to join us. What does the passage mean for us? Praise the Lord. That's pretty clearly a primary theme of the psalm, as it is for the coming psalms. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. We rejoice in God's provision and God's care, the fact that he's willing to come down and, and to assist us who are so humble and so little before him. Praise God for his gracious provision that is described in verses um, 14, 15, 16, 17, 18, 19, 20. Rejoice in that. Praise Him for it. Teach and encourage continued faithfulness. Then long for others to join in your praise. Father, we do thank you for your graciousness. We thank you for your goodness. We thank you for your mercy. We thank you that you chose so many years ago to look down upon our needy state to see that there is nothing we could do to earn your favor and because of our neediness and because of your characteristic of being one who 
can fulfill all needs, and who is gracious and compassionate and merciful, slow to anger, you chose to send your Son to come to the earth, to die for our sins, to bear the penalty for our sins, to bear your wrath, to bear your anger, so that we can be restored in our relationship to you, so that we can live lives that are honoring and glorifying to you. We pray that our lives this week would be full of praise for you, that we would be quick to encourage one another by pointing one another to your greatness. We do long for the day when all the world will realize who you are, that all will bow down before you and confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. We thank you and praise you for who you are. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen.